Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are Broadway's Backbone. Welcome back. This is part two of episode five. Our special guest is Brad Anderson. When I finished that, uh, that's when I got Boy From Oz. So Boy From Oz, we kind of knew going in it was just to be one year run because that's all Hugh had uh, committed to. Um, I cannot say enough good things about Hugh Jackman. He's the real deal. And first and foremost, he is a husband to Deb, and he is a father to his children. And he's an actor third. And it showed every day... He is a, just a generally nice human being. He cares for everyone in the room. He is fearless. He, it's, nothing affects him. I mean, if it did, you'd never know. But another learning lesson of, of was watching him and trying new things and yeah. watching him just go at this, you know, this book and the script and these songs. Uh, the man never left stage for three hours and just kept getting better. So, um, I was in the ensemble when we first started, and uh, uh, there's a there's a part of the uh, before Liza comes in and catches him like having a party in their uh, uh, their New York apartment. There's a part I was playing. It's called the trick. <laughs> I was the trick, and uh, me Kelly Crandall, who is now married to Christopher Dumbois, Charlotte's brother. Mm. We were dance partners a lot in the in the show, and we were at the, the the piano playing, and we're you know doing drugs and coke and the thing, and drinking champagne out of a bottle, and we're doing all this stuff you know in character, and I sit at the the I I look at you, I run my fingers through his hair, I put my my hand down his shirt, like fondle his breast, his tit. <laughs> oh my god, it's so like crazy uncomfortable moment. And then I kiss the back of his neck, turn him and kiss him. <laughs> and he goes, and I looked at him, I was like, just during rehearsals. And I was like, well, okay. He goes, postmate, it's fine. He said, postmate, it's all right. I was like, okay. <laughs> and Kelly Crane was like, oh my God, you just like felt him up and kissed him. And I said, I know it. <laughs> but I sang this, uh, this part when we sang a part together. It's on YouTube. It's called uh, Continental American. You could Google it, say... Hugh Jackman, Brad Anderson, Continental American, and you'll see the clip, and you'll see me getting down with Hugh Jackman. Nice. It's perfect. So it's pretty damn cool. Um, I remember after that run, Deb, his wife said, do not get too used to that. (laughs) And I was like, too late, too late. (laughs) She was awesome, and she was just kidding. So anyway, but the whole run was amazing with him, and I tell you this, and I'm just going to put this out there because I hate when people make an assumption about people, and especially about Hugh. Because, okay, I'm a gay man, out and proud. But what I hate is when gay men assume Hugh Jackman is gay. Because he is not. When people see him in a performance, acting as a gay man, they, they made this assumption about him. But why can't they make the same assumption when they're watching him as Wolverine with 
badass swords come out of it and being a total macho dude. But they let that one Peter Allen performance justify his whole life? I don't think so. People get a life. Get your own life is what I want to say, first and foremost. But the man is so comfortable with himself, and he could give a shit. He knows people talking about him like that, but he could give a shit because he knows what he is. And that's 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 that. I mean, it's stupid for people to assume that about him because he's not. He is a straight, straight, very straight man. He just happens to be a damn good actor and doesn't care what people think. And when it, with his choices, he will go there and act like a big old flaming mo. Sure, absolutely. Well, but Peter he, Allen is also Australian. I mean, he was also paying you. tribute to his, his fellow. Idols. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I just that's a little side note because people. Yeah, get a life. No, I think that no, I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, next was um, uh, all shook up, and uh, all shook up you, is another time you've understudied the lead. You okay. did that in uh, also Boy from Oz, but you never went on. Never went on. Well, I didn't go on for Boy from Oz because we knew from the start that um, the, the show became a machine because you've got Hugh Jackman. His name's above the title. People come to see him. Plain and simple. We all knew that. And if Hugh was going to be out, they would cancel the show. Yes. The only way I would go on if Hugh got hurt. Okay? The last month of the show, he had a hairline fracture in his foot. And I was ready to go on. But he never missed. Because he's a freaking beast that way. absolutely. He's awesome. Anyway, um, I will say this. Before All Shook Up, I went and did um, Aida. Oh, um, right. In North Shore. And this kind of plays into All Shook Up. Because uh, right when uh, Boy From Oz finished, I was on a train heading to Boston... Uh, to rehearse Aida and Montego Glover was Aida um, and I was playing uh, Rodimus it was the one role that I've, I've always wanted to play there's another role that I want to play but I wasn't old enough and maybe I am now who knows <laughs> but um, I was living the dream my friend Stafford Arima was directing the play my great friend Patty Wilcox was um, uh, choreographing and we had all three worked together doing Smokey Joe's before mm. up at North Shore so um we all three were working together again, which I love, because they are truly magnificent people first, and truly magnificent artisans and technicians at what they do. Um, Stafford's one of the best directors I've ever worked with, mm. and, and, and Patty, one of the best choreographers, so smart and efficient in her movement, but tells a story. It's amazing. It's, it's just, I wish people would see more of her. Yeah, I don't so, know her. She did Motown. She did Motown. Oh, she, she did. Show. Okay. So, um, or helped with Motown. Um, anyway, but um, during uh, Aida, uh, I got a call because I had auditioned for All Shook Up before I went, and um, I'd heard that I didn't get the job. Jared Emick was the lead, and uh, Shine Jackson was the understudy. Jared's contract didn't work out. They moved Cheyenne into the position, and they called me, and they said, we'd like for you to be the, understu- uh, the, the standby for Cheyenne. I was in Boston, already rehearsing and doing shows. Uh, I was singing Rodimus every night, and we worked out a rehearsal schedule for All Shook Up. I was in Boston, and they agreed to fly me to New York every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So for five days, I would get up at 5 drive to Boston, fly to New York, rehearse from 11 until 3, go back to LaGuardia, fly back to Boston, 
in time to do my show, Rod Amaze. Oh, my in God. And I did that for the entire run. Wow, that's like an Elaine Stritch story. <laughs> <laughs> so I, but they agreed to it, and I wanted a new show, and All Shook Up was like a big new thing that was coming up, and it was going to be playing at the Palace. We were going to go to Chicago first, and we played the Cadillac Theater there. And um, uh, when we I spent Christmas together, yeah. we did. You were there with Spamalot, yeah. So, um, and we were all staying in the same hotel, I think. Yeah, something like something that. Something like that. Um, but I was Cheyenne. We had a great cast. You know, the show was really, really good. I just don't think they marketed it, and no one really knew about it, Mm-mm. which was so sad because it was a really good show. Um, so, were you just a standby? Uh, it turned out that I became uh, part of. The ensemble. I, okay. I danced because I, I can dance. And they had me dancing the opening number and um, doing little bit parts here and there. But the main thing I was there for was to understudy and to stand by. My standby contract got moved to ensemble with an understudy um, position, which is fine. I mean, I don't care. But um, I just know that I went on a lot. Put it that way. <laughs> I went on a lot and I loved it. And... Uh, I loved I worked with Anika Larson she was in the ensemble um, and Anika was the understudy for Jean Gambatis so Anika and I were always like getting our lines together and um, which and, and I love it because Anika is such a brilliant actress and she's a great singer oh my god she can wail her head off and I knew that she was going to get her due, and she just got nominated this past year for uh, Beautiful for Beautiful yes yeah for this uh, um, uh, the, so what with the not a leading lady, but the other one. Yeah, featured actress. <laughs> there you yes. go, featured. I was thinking character actress. <laughs> yeah, best character actress. <laughs> Who knows? One of these days, I might have that category. But um, anyway, but she was like my kind of comrade, camaraderie. We together uh, at our understudy rehearsals. Yes. So um, anyway, but. We did uh, all shook up for a little bit, and then all of a sudden it just closed. Then no one was coming, so and it was it was rough because we worked so hard on that show, and we all knew it was a good show. And uh, Stephen Aramis was our musical director and musical supervisor, and his orchestrations in his uh, not not orchestrations but his vocal arrangements were beautiful. And to sit uh, to the closing of Act One every night. Um, was if if you've never listened to uh, All Shook Up uh, soundtrack, go buy it and listen to the closing of Act One. Um, it will give you chills, and it's it was just the best thing I've ever done as an ensemble singing wise. Wow, it was really really cool. So, but when it was over, it was over, it was done, and it was rough. So that was two thousand five, and uh, it was kind of dead in New York. It was so dead. Um, I shot my first uh, uh, independent movie. I got paid $500, and we shot it for two weeks in New York, and we were running around without permits, shooting shit in Central Park and on Columbus Avenue and Upper West Side and people's apartments, and I loved it. It was awesome. Um, I'm not going to tell you the name of it because (laughs) (laughs) some people think it's good. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's not, you know, great. But, I mean, I was proud of it. Yeah, that's so. It was fun working with some of my friends, and um, but yeah, that's I'll say that. Yeah, (laughs) that's enough. (laughs) So then, Chorus Line shortly entered your life after that. that. Well, well, Chorus Line entered um, 
I didn't really understand the magnitude of Course Line until I saw every little step, the documentary. Mm. Um, <clears throat> when I first got uh, the call to go in for it, I went to one audition, and they said, callbacks aren't going to happen for a really long time. I went, like, how long? Uh, six months. I was like, what? I'm like, how long you survive? So, luckily I had a side job. I was working at this um, book supplier. Me and Hunter Bell, <laughs> we worked at this place called Booksmart, one of the best places to work, and I loved those ladies. We put on private book fairs for private schools in the tri-state area, and it was like fundraising. So, we, we would send out all the books to the kids and pack them up and then repack them and put them back and whatever. It was a great side job. We hired a lot of actors. $10 an hour to come and stack books. But it was great because we were around literature and musical theater people and our bosses loved nothing more than Broadway. They loved, all we did was listen to Broadway. So it was the coolest place to work. I'm surprised you didn't work there. I'm surprised I didn't either. <laughs> you, you were probably working somewhere. That's why in a Broadway show, whatever. So um, anyway, so all I know, my, my timeline for Course Line was my first audition, six months. We had the final audition. And I remember the final audition. It was nerve-wracking as hell. But I walked in, and I knew exactly who my competition was. There were like three other guys. We all looked exactly the same. And... I do have a little bit of a, an advantage because a friend of mine was Jay's assistant. And from that very first audition, they had the line put out on a table. And the entire line was there except for the Cassie and Sheila. And the people that she told me that were in that line a year and a half before were the same people that got the job. Wow. And she says, you were Don Kerr. And I was like, okay, but I know that nothing is set in stone until you get that contract right. in your hand. Um, and then they can still fire you because you're white contracts. <laughs> right. So, um, but I, I just remember going to the final callback and then getting the job and then waiting another almost year for it to start. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize it took that long. Oh yeah. It was like the final callback, I, I waited probably like 10 months, almost a year. And it just, <laughs> I was poor. Oh my God. I was working at Booksmart and trying to make any kind of money I could anywhere. But um, all I know is that when we started rehearsals, the best thing about rehearsals is that we rehearsed at 890 Broadway. Everything happens at 890 Broadway. Yes. <laughs> it's like the old school place to rehearse. And thank God we were there because it just made it feel right, you know? Because it just you knew Michael Bennett was in those, those halls a lot, and it just felt great. Um... I enjoyed in the show. I enjoyed my castmates. Um, I'd never seen Course Line. Really? I still, to this day, have never seen Course Line. I've been in it, yeah. but I've never seen it. <laughs> so, it was very interesting to be a part of that history of the, the, the original revival cast. And, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, San Francisco our out-of-town tryout. Um, we didn't know that we were going to do our cast album out there until we got out there. Um, we all get on a bus, and all of a sudden, we're at Luke Skywalker Ranch, George Lucas's business, house of business. And it looks like a huge white Victorian house, but it's really not. It's, it's, it's an office building that it runs his business. Huge winery, and then there is the studio. 
where John Williams creates all of his masterpieces and records everything from all the Star Wars movies. Oh, wow. So we're recording our album at Skywalker Ranch, the place where John Williams does all of his stuff, and it's just like crazy. Like, we're in the middle of this vineyard in, in, in San Francisco. <laughs> it was the coolest thing. It was the coolest thing. Um, we get to New York. Uh, it, it was it was interesting because the creative staff on Course Line had a little bit of differences between 1975 and 2006. Some of them, Bob Abion was great. Some of them thought it was still that mentality to beat dancers down to right. make them rise to the occasion yeah I don't work like that way I don't work that way I'm like if I'm good I get the job and that means if I get the job I'm good enough to be in the show you picked me you picked me a year and a half ago there's no need to talk down to me like I'm a fifth grader and you know you think it's gonna make me better everyone in this line is damn good we don't need to be beat down mm-hmm some people responded to it. Some others did not. And uh, it just, it became a very, I enjoy doing the show, but at times I, it, it got a little weird from artistic staff to, to the, the actors because I felt like they, they wanted more out of us. And what else could we have done? Yeah. I mean, we did everything they wanted, but it just sometimes seemed like it wasn't enough. Um, I had a really bad injury like first time in a long time I've never had really big injuries that was the first time I had a big injury and that's pretty good for I had a good 15 year run yes so I remember doing shit Richie and doing this one move flat back shimmy 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 down everyone comes back up Brad stayed down and I crawled off stage because I couldn't stand up I had herniated my L3 and L4 and I was out. I was out for two months until I got better. So, but also, at that time, my body was, it was a wreck. I had been dancing eight shows a week for a long time. And I knew that I could walk in to an audition and get a job. But I wasn't happy at that time. I think I was getting bitter. Mm -hmm. I was getting tired. Or my body was just tired. My body's breaking down. So mentally, I'm still a happy person, but when you, my body breaks down as a dancer and you can't do what you normally do to make that makes you happy, you go into like a weird spot, a weird space in your head. And that's kind of where I went. And I, I, I was very lucky to do uh, Course Line. I was 38 years old playing a 26-year-old. Actually, in the in the in the literature in the in the script, it says I think like twenty three or twenty four when I say my age. Right. But I talked to Bob Avion and I said, I am not twenty three. I don't look twenty three. Can I say I'm twenty eight or twenty seven, twenty six? Just something higher, closer to thirty, because at this point I'm really thirty eight years old. Yeah. I have a a good face for looking young, but come on, there's only so much you can do. So Bob was like, Cool, just raise your age. Let's raise your age. What do you want to be? And I said. 28. So we made 28 or 26. I can't remember now. But it just made me feel a little bit better, and he was cool about it, you know? What a really interesting story, though, for the revival of Chorus Line, 
a lot of people think that the story doesn't hold up because times are much different, and I see their point. Um, so there had to be some uh, script changes made uh, for Chorus Line, and one of the biggest ones was in the original production Chorus Line, you go down the, the, the line, and everyone says, I'm Don Kerr, October 11th, 1954. And you say your name or where you're from and the year that you were born. In 1975, people in the audience were born around that same time and they knew the math. They're like, oh, I was born in 54, so they're 23. Right. Or they're 26. So in 2006, people hear 1954 and they start doing math in their head. We lost the audience immediately from the start of the show. Everyone, you could tell, it was the weirdest thing because everyone was like, the opening number, crazy, crazy. I'm Don Kerr, October 11, 1954. Or whatever it was. I wasn't saying the right one, but... And then the whole audience just went, they, we lost them. It was the weirdest thing. Huh. And the next day, we just said, we just need to say how old we are. Smartest thing Bob Evian did wow. for us. Because it took, it kept them with us. And Absolutely. It was really cool as a, as a choice. So, But I did the whole year of that, and, and I... And I Eleven of us left. Eleven of us left because we were like, we need to go. So and I needed a break. So I took a break. Well, then you transitioned into something else. Like a this is where new food career. comes in. Um, I went to culinary school. Uh, I love cooking food. Uh, I love learning a technique behind food. I love learning a technique with anything. I'm a dancer. That's where we come from. So I did that. Um, I left course line. I went to uh, culinary school in Los Angeles. I uh, did an accelerated course at La Cornon Bleu. Actually, it's called Kitchen Academy, and um, based off French culinary in New York. A great curriculum, and I was there 10 hours a day for 10 months. And one of the best times of my life. So much fun. I, I, I loved every day going to work, going to school learning about food and how to prepare it and sauces and techniques and knife cuts and oh it's just fabulous <laughs> I love it um, but I went out there to Los Angeles to have a, a change and I went out there with uh, my great friend Michael Padanostro he was in the show with me at Course Line he was also in Fosse with me as well and he already had a condo out there so I was his roommate for a good four years and we both went out there with like bright eyes and like, we're so glad to be out of New York and in the sun of L.A. And, and it served its purpose and it was perfect. Um, I went to school and like started interviewing for jobs for like, you know, I, I didn't want to go work in a restaurant per se because that's not why I went to culinary school. I was more interested in the beauty of food and food styling. So I went to culinary stool, school. stool. <laughs> I went to culinary school to, um, <laughs> I just said stool and talk about food. <laughs> oh, and I had to like bring it back to that again. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, I, 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 was, I really went to school because I wanted to learn about food styling. Well, they don't teach food styling um, at culinary school, but they do teach technique. And there's a technique to get certain ways, certain things. And then when I first got to L.A., I looked up every food stylist in the book and called them, sent them an email, and I found two ladies who let me intern with them. And I, I worked with them during school, and once I got out of school, I worked with them, and I did all the food styling. Um, her name is Bonnie Belknap, and she's awesome. She has a business out in Los Angeles called Gourmet Propers, and she's been doing the food since Dynasty and Falcon Crest. She did all the food for those 80s soap operas. Yeah. Pretty damn cool. 
Um, if we all know how elaborate those sets were. Yes. So, um, and I worked with her, and she's a great woman and so much fun. Really knows what her craft is with food styling. Um, and I started working with her, and I worked with her so much she got comfortable with me just taking over certain jobs. So I started doing a lot of stuff with her. Um, I did a lot of stuff on LA morning shows when they were like uh, celebrity chefs would come on. Paula Dean, we did all of her stuff for Jay Leno, always. Um, I did a huge thing for Flavor Flav uh, on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, it was actually wasn't for Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav was the the music was the guest. But Rocco Despirito, we did a lot of his food styling for all of his products that were coming out. So Paula Dean and Rocco Despirito, we did all their their food styling um, shows. It's pretty cool. Um, but it wasn't paying the bills, you know? And uh, 2008 happened. It was not a good economic year. No. <laughs> so uh, I was a pastry chef at two restaurants. Uh, one was called BLD, which is breakfast, lunch, dinner. Still exists in LA, one of the best casual restaurants. Awesome. Uh, it's down on Third. Uh, um, and they had a really uh, a nicer sister restaurant called Grace. Uh, Neil Frazier is the name of the, sh the chef. He was a great chef. He's still a great uh, uh, private chef. Not private, but uh, like a uh, famous professional chef. Um, he's like top chef. One of those chefs. Mm. He guests on there. So um, we, I worked at their restaurant and learned a lot of stuff. Um, but <laughs> the funny thing is, is that when you work in a restaurant, you don't make any money. Um, I just spent $25,000 on culinary school. And I was making um, nine dollars an hour. Wow! Really? <laughs> I graduated top of my class, perfect four point uh, My my book, my my uh, portfolio for school was gorgeous. Eight dollars, nine dollars an hour. That's all I could get. And when you go home with three hundred fifty dollars every other week, you can't survive. So, what do I do? To make money? Well, for the last 15 years before, I did shows. I went to an audition, and I auditioned for Rob Ashford and got Parade at the Mark Taper. I did a straight acting position, um, small bits of dancing, but I, I was an actor. I wasn't yeah. a dancer. I was an actor in the show. So um, it. I worked with Alfred Jury and Jason Robert, uh, Robert, Jason Robert Brown and got to sing his beautiful stuff. And work with Rob Ashford, and it was an amazing, beautiful show. So it was again. You're an understudy. Yeah, I am not an understudy. Well, I am an understudy for um, Michael Barres was in it. Right. He played the reporter. It was Michael Barres. Well, the T. R. Knight was the lead. Laura Pulver, who did the original uh, Donmar Warehouse version, that's oh. where it was done first in London. She came over and did. Um, she came over and did the uh, the, the part of. Uh, the, the wife. T.R. Knight from Grey's Anatomy, he played Leo Frank. And um, I played uh, Luther Rosser, who was his attorney. Um, this was a scaled down version, so I didn't have a song to sing like he did in the other big version in New York in 1998. So, um, but it worked so well. It was so beautiful. Um, Alfred Jury was there all every day. Oh, wow. I mean, how. I mean, come on. Yeah. Alfred Jury, Drive Miss Daisy, Absolutely. and then Jason Robert Brown. Come on. So you got I got to work with these great people. Laura Pearl Pulver, she's a brilliant actress from London, from England. And um, uh, 
she's actually about to start playing Louise and Gypsy at the Chocolate Factory. I think oh, we're really? Over there, or the Don Mar. Yeah. So she's starting that actually next week. I just talked to her recently, and we're remain friends, and she's great. So she starts that. Kind of cool. But um, the funny, the ironic thing is that I had to get back into musical theater to, to pay, pay the bills. bills. No one does that. Because no one does that. But I got a job. So after that, uh, I was kind of getting the itch back, but I wasn't completely ready to do it. But uh, a show kind of fell in my lap. Uh, Rob Ashford offered me a leap of faith. So it, they were doing the out-of-town tryout in Los Angeles. And the show had its problems. It wasn't great, you know, but I met wonderful people. And um, uh, I got to work with some old friends, and um, I got to work with Brooke Shields. And still to this day, she's a great friend of mine, and she's a lovely woman, a hard worker, and a great mom. And she's just one of the most down-to-earth people, kind of like Hugh Jackman, you know? She's the real deal. Um, I did take her some of my food, because I can cook. And actually... It was my impetus to, she asked me to come back to New York and cook for her. So I've been back in New York four years now, and I cook for Brooke on and off um, as her private chef for her family. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm trying not to do that as much now because I'm, I'm back in my acting and my musical theater, and that's where I want to be. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And um, a really kind of full circle moment when I first moved to New York, uh, before I did um, Fosse, uh, I auditioned for a show in New York uh, called Hot Mikado, and it was being done at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's where I met David Bell. He wrote it, directed it, and choreographed it. Great show, a lot of fun, dancing, great talent, um, jazz uh, score, and... Uh, we did it here for like a good two months. It was great. I went back home, and then that's, you know, I just started auditioning. You know, Fosse came through, but it's been since 1997 that that happened, and now when I decided to move back to New York, uh, after I stopped cooking for Brooke, and made a commitment to get back into the business, I go to my first audition, and it's for Tuck Everlasting which is going to be done at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. So it's like this full circle. And it's crazy because it's my first audition back in New York. And I come back to Atlanta. I sit here with you now in Atlanta. I think it's great. <laughs> and it's just, it's a testament to do what you love. Take a break when you need to take a break because it's not going anywhere. You'll learn something about yourself in the process of why you take that break. You'll gain wisdom. You'll get some rest. <laughs> Your yeah. body will rest and recover. And you do the work, you can come back. And that's where I'm at now. Well, when you had to leave school uh, for because of your injury, when you got the car accident, you weren't able to finish your co college degree. No, I wasn't. Um, uh, there is a great program called LEAP. And it's uh, based out of St. Mary's College in Moraga, California. Um, Benjamin uh, Bradley... Vinge was just beautiful dancer. She is in, she was, I think she was in New York in Pippin. She's down on a tour. Um, beautiful dancer. Uh, when we were doing Leap of Faith, she was in the show with me. She uh, was doing the Leap program when we were doing Leap of Faith. And she said, yeah, I do this. It's uh, 
there's online courses, but there's a, there's a class that you meet with your classmates in New York. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an option. So I started looking into that back in 2010 um, and thought, well, you know, I want to do that eventually, but I, I didn't know when the right time was. And uh, this past year, last uh, August, yeah, was the right time. So I started back to school last August, and I'm in my second semester now. And it's a lot of work. It's hard, but it's going to be rewarding, too. And that's where I'm at. I sat in my room yesterday in Atlanta <laughs> and discussed Socrates and Glaucon, the cave allegory of Plato, with well, my teacher. Well, I think it's amazing that I mean, after all of this success that you've had, you still want to go back and finish your degree. I think that's Life is fantastic. about learning. Life is about learning. And when you stop learning, you die. I want to die learning. I want to go out of this world trying to learn as much as I can because first I think about my family and like my nephews and my nieces and maybe stuff that I can like pass down to them or give them advice about the world or jobs or school or, you know, and the more I do, the more I can help them or help anybody. There's nothing more than, there's nothing more satisfying than really having someone you know move to New York and start the process of what you did 20 years ago. Um, I see that with ex-students of mine and I have some great friends who live here in Atlanta and their daughter is uh, just finished at AMDA. You know, oh, and yeah. she's in the dance program and she just got her first job. And guess what it is? Jubilee. Really? That's fantastic. <laughs> These weird full and circle still moments. A show, that's still a good show in Vegas. It it's is. Still... It is the last of its kind. When I was in it, they it was 18 years old when I was in it. Wow. And that was in 92. Right. See, it's still going. Go to Vegas and Jubilee. Right. Because my friend's in it now. She is 19. And I remember, you know, these are my best friends. They came and saw Tuck last week. And I knew them from when I used to babysit this girl when she was two. But now she just graduated from AMDA. She just got a job at Jubilee. And then she's going to go to AMDA in Los Angeles and continue on with the dance and acting program there. Oh. But she's going to go to do Jubilee first. That's great. But it's kind of reminiscent of my career because I quit school and went and did Jubilee. Yeah. Maybe 20 years from now she'll finish hers. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. But I just think I love learning. Um, it just it gives me something to do. Yeah. Because I get bored easy. Well, I, I mean, I learned so much from you. Uh, one of the things I love about you is that when you do talk about your famous friends, you there, there's no ego, there's no name droppy, there's no like uh, give you a rash when this person's talking about that. And that's something in this business. There's so much smoozing. There's so many people that like yeah. talk about, oh, I'm friends with this person. That I think that you have a charm about you that is makes you much more successful by not being that person. And I don't know. Do you have a secret? Is it from your parents? People are people. Hugh Jackman is a guy who just happened to get lucky and become famous. But he started the same place we all started. He started working in, at his craft and getting better at it, you know? I think famous people... I mean, Brooke Shields, good Lord. It's, it's all her mother. You know, when I used to cook for Brooke, uh, I met her mother. Her mother is responsible for putting her on the side of an ivory box at six months old. You know, I mean, when she's 12... She is in a movie called Pretty Baby. 
lot of controversy with that because yeah. at 12 years old, she was getting raped in a scene in a movie from a very old man. Yeah. <laughs> but people can't choose their life. I mean, they can choose their life, but I mean, a lot of people who... Let me, let me rephrase that. A lot of famous people who have integrity don't care about being famous. They care about, first and foremost, making themselves happy with what they do. And if that means acting or singing or dancing, that's what it is. They put the work in first. And if fame comes, great. You know? So that's how I see famous people. I, I And the only reason why I know these people is because I worked with them. I was hired to do a show that they just happened to be in. And I've been lucky to work with famous people that are really nice and really down to earth. Um, yeah, there's other famous people that aren't that. But you know what? I've been lucky and I've not been around those people. Will I? Who knows? But the main thing is here is that famous or not, just be nice yeah. in life, you know, and, and respect other people and their choices and what they want to do and and for God's sake, help them. Yeah. That's what I that's what I want to do. You know, and because I got a lot of help. Kind of that pay it forward thing maybe, but I just know at the beginning of the night when we started talking, I, I, I mentioned Tempe Kirby and David Hamer. If it wouldn't been for them and them giving me dance classes for free or spending their money and flying me out to Vegas for a job, you know, so I'm here because of them. And, you know, they just came and saw me do Talk Everlasting last week. Yeah, no. So be nice. be nice. Do your work and pay it forward. <laughs> that sounds really cliche. No, it's but, not. It's great. But it does. Uh, and as far as famous people go, listen, like I said, I just happened to work with them on a show that I was hired to do, and they're nice people. Yeah. You know, and, and, and by chance, I became friends with them and became close to them on a personal level because I cooked them dinner. But I would quit my job first so that I could remain friends with them because that's more important than a job, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. so I have one, uh, one, more, one or two more questions. Yes. But this is actually, I didn't even write this down on here, uh, so it might be a curveball. No. Uh, <laughs> and it's, one, I think, a question that a lot of people ask yeah. women. Um, but uh, there's such a pressure on uh, physical appearance and uh, being fit and being uh, handsome, and especially more so for women. But now I think it's, the tables have turned this much more on men and you have all the talent to back it up but there is um, you are very handsome how much has that had to play into the roles I know women are always like I had to get a boob job I have to have that and I think now and I don't think it might have been Jay Bender I don't think it was but when people are graduating college now casting directors are saying first thing to do is get a gym membership back in my day the first thing they said was get a good acting class yes. so it's like how as a as a man do you feel that that appearance pressure is put onto us as um, that's a great question and I mean you can't pick your genes <laughs> I mean I'm lucky to have a great looking mom and a great looking dad you know but but when you think about it I mean what someone looks like is always in the eyes of the beholder for, that's what I think I mean when I look at someone, I might think this person is gorgeous, and someone might think they're not. So it's very subjective in the eyes of someone who's looking. Um, I've been told I have that all-American look. You know what? I do. That's just 
how it happened. I, I, uh, I've always naturally been thin, but I've always been a dancer and kept tabs in my body. Do I eat Oreos? Yes. Do I eat a whole t- thing of, you know, ice cream? Uh-huh. So sometimes I, the outside appearance may not match on the inside. My arteries might be clogged to hell and back. I don't know, but I mean, I, 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 I live my life to the fullest. And if I look a certain way, great. Has it helped me? Yeah, it has. I under, I, I, and I get that. I, I'm, I'm glad I have the looks that I do. But uh, I, I went through my own thing in New York when, when I first moved there. Like, gay men were supposed to look a certain way. You've got to look buff, you know? Like, remember, uh, like, the phrase, the coined term was Chelsea Boy. Yep. You had the perfect body, you always dressed perfectly, and this and that. And you were hairless. You did, yeah. Uh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Thank God we like hair, Brad. Yes, exactly. So, um, I just I just think that uh, it took me a long time. I'm 45 now. When I moved to New York, I was 27, and I fell victim to trying to look a certain way and I literally would go to the gym twice a day before a show I would go to the gym and work my ass out so hard then go and dance 13 numbers in Fosse that's crazy I know I know (laughs) but and I was trying to like gain weight and look big and buff and it literally uh, what I was telling you about taking the years off when I, I needed a break from performing, whatever, it wasn't just performing; it was life. I needed, I need to find myself more, and I and I found myself, and I can really breathe easy now because I, I I did everything I was supposed to do back in the day to look a certain way because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to have that perfect, beautiful man ask me out on a date. Did he? Mm, some of them did, but then what I learned from it is that when they asked me out on the date. Literally, I had one guy tell me, your face is beautiful, but your arms are too skinny. I literally got that in a date, and it was like the wake-up call. When I heard that, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? He just said that? And I, it was hysterical. It was hilarious and crushing all at the same time. Because this man that I had met a couple years before that I was like, oh, he's my dream guy. He just crushed my spirit. But then it took me a while to get over that and to think, oh, wait, it wasn't my spirit he crushed. <laughs> it's his own self-worth that he crushed because the fact that he even said that yeah. makes him just like the biggest peon on the earth. So, but I didn't know that at the time. I had to, years later, kind of revisit it, you know. Once again, therapist helps. But I just know that uh, I... I, I, I being handsome, so you say, great. You think I'm handsome, that's wonderful. Jay Bender thinks I'm handsome. He thinks I'm an all-American guy. You know, but, you know, there are people out there that I'm not their type. They don't think, right? I look, you know, and that's fine. And I kind of like that because if I saw me walking down the street, I would not ask him out on the date. That's not my type. Wow. I don't want to date the all-American guy. Right. I want to... Lumberjack man with hair on his chest. Oh, me too. Okay, <laughs> but, 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 hey, wait a second. But we're digressing. <laughs> but now, I, but uh, I love that uh, recently you said that now at your age you'd give yourself a full bar every night and you yeah. feel like you're dancing and performing 
better than ever. And a lot of that has to do with taking time off to actually have a real life and not be constantly in musical theater. Yes, it does. And for a good 15 years, 13 to 15 years, I did not go home for Christmas because I was doing a show. We all know how that is. That we don't, we don't get that luxury. We're in a service industry. We perform for people, and restaurants and shows are always open on holidays because mm-hmm. that's when people come to New York to see them on holidays. So, in the eight years that I took off, I rediscovered my family better, my nieces and nephews, um, and for a good three years, I did not dance. I didn't do anything. I cooked, I ate, didn't go to the gym, and I got a little fat. So whatever. (laughs) And people say, you're not fat, but I look at a picture of me four years ago, and I was just kind of like thick all over, but I'm six feet tall, I'm really slender, so I'm not going to carry a lot of fat on me, but I know what my body is, and... um, I kind of liked the way I felt because I just felt a bit more manly. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I had to buy 34 inch, you know, waist jeans. Wow. I mean, I'm back to my 30 waist now. <laughs> and at 45, I ain't, I ain't mad at you. Yeah, no. But, but I will say that uh, I'm dancing better now than I've ever danced in my life. More technical, more spirit, more spunk, I guess, but more. Creativity is coming through my brain. I don't censor anything. I let it come out. And I'll teach it. I was lucky enough to work with an organization this past summer and teach uh, a lot of musical theater and jazz and modern contemporary stuff and some ballet. And I was in heaven. I'd walk in that studio an hour before my class and just turn on the music and go. And whatever came out, that's what I taught. I didn't censor it. I did it. Some of it didn't make sense. Some of it did. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one of these days when I think I might want to choreograph, you know, I think it's really going to come in handy because there's a lot of shit in my head. But I'm not there yet because I still love performing. And being back on the stage with Tuck Everlasting, it's just, it's just reaffirmed that need to be a gypsy, be a performer, and just put on a costume, sing in the ensemble. And I will say this. I've done roles. I've done big roles. I've got nominated for awards. I feel most comfortable in the ensemble. I completely agree. <laughs> I do. Yep. I feel most comfortable there. It's where I'm most happy. Yep. And it's not that I don't want to do roles. I don't want the pressure. Yep. And that's why I left for eight years, because I needed to get rid of the pressure, because I had a lot of pressure coming at me. But... It wasn't worth it. My life's much more, my happiness is much more important. And when I let that go, jobs just started flooding in, you know? So I feel most comfortable with my ensemble members laughing and cackling and... Oh, there's nothing like the men's dressing room. Like, that's always (laughs) been one of my favorite places. Yeah. It's a solace. And the Fosse dressing rooms... There was no, it was unisex. It was just crazy. Everybody just <laughs> naked all the time. I mean, and that was my first show. So, I mean, people in the real world of like nine to five, they don't understand. There'd be so many sexual harassment oh, suits. Oh, it'd be crazy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still surprised when I hear about sexual harassment suits in musical theater. 
it kills me. I just like, wow, that person must be the biggest freaking prude yeah. on the earth, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just the way we are. We're open and walk around in our underwear yep. or dance belt and our butt cheeks hanging out. Yep. I mean, no one's looking at them. No. We're just talking. No, especially like your dressers are like, ooh, they're like, they're in there doing their job. They're not like staring at your butt. Yeah, and a lot of times our dressers are women. They could care less to see my butt hanging out. Oh, no, exactly. But it's fun. My, my taxi just came out. Care less, my butt just hanging out. <laughs> I have been down in Atlanta for two months. My accent's going to come yeah. back. So if we could end this uh, interview with one song from all of the shows you've oh. done, what would it be? A song? Oh, my God. Um... There is, God, that's a hard question. I'm not going to sing it, am I? No, no, okay. no. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Well, it could be the, act, the end of Act uh, 1 of All Shook Up. Mm, no, it was, um, there is, uh, one of my biggest things that I wanted to do was Rod Amaze, now you know. Mm. Um, getting to sing that with Montego Glover every night was great. But there is a there's a smaller section uh, that he sings it's called Rodame's Letter, and if there's anything meant for me to sing, it was that little letter that I sing in the show by myself in the darkness to her. And she's on stage reading it, and I'm singing it as she's reading it. Oh wow! It's a little it's a little blurb. It's a little, it's called Rodame's Letter, and it's just gorgeous and simple. It'd be that. Well, yeah. thank you very much. You're this welcome. A brilliant interview. I'm going to give you a hug. Oh, give me a hug. Yes. Mm. Oh, it's perfect. Okay. I'm sorry for everything I've said And for anything I forgot to say to When things get so complicated I stumble at best muddle through I wish that our lives could be simple I don't want the world only you oh I wish I could tell you this face to face but there's never the time never the place so this letter will have to do